Good morning again. My name is Pastor Milo. I just realized I didn't introduce my, myself earlier. I apologize for that. Uh, this morning we are going to be in the book of 1 John. So if you want to get your Bibles there this morning, the book of 1 John. Uh, we are using the New International Version this morning. It's in the back of your pews. There's a black Bible there. If you're using that one, you can use uh, page 1278 in that Bible. Uh, get your way there. Uh, this weekend is Labor Day weekend. It's the back-to-school weekend for many people. And uh, so if you are a middle schooler, raise your hand in here if you're a middle schooler this morning. All right, so we had 12 students move up from elementary to middle school. <laughs> that guy is not a middle schooler. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, high school, high school students, raise your hand. We got a few high school students, college students. Okay. How many of you are uh, teachers? Uh, let's say you're... Okay, we got teachers, college professors, we got some of you, okay, you, okay, teachers don't like raising your hands, how do you think we feel like it, okay? Um, so we've got all, this back to school time, like, uh, we got everyone kind of coming back, kind of getting into the rhythm this week as we kind of get settled in, and we got a lot of excitement that builds that, a lot of anxiety for some of you. Um, I, I remember being in a class uh, and it was a science class, and there's something that uh, is really the best part of every biology science class is when you get to pull out uh, the microscope and get to look at something under the microscope. How many of you loved looking at things under the microscope? A few of you, okay. So the thing about looking through a microscope is that, that section, that time frame in that class, I lied about every single thing I wrote down on this sheet of paper because... I've never seen anything through a microscope, I feel like. To be honest with you, when you look through, all I ever see is the reflection of my own eyeball and my eyelashes. And does anyone know what I'm talking about? Where, where the, the teacher's up front and they've got, this, you know, they've got this magical thing where they can put it under and it shows on the screen behind them. And of course you can see it on that. But when I go to look through it, when I look through me, all I see is the black darkness. Is anyone with me? So, so you see this dark shadow and you see maybe your eyelashes are in the middle of it and that's it. And you're supposed to, you know, fill out your lab report on this. <laughs> I've also had a very similar experience when it comes to looking through a telescope. If you've ever looked through a telescope and somebody tells you the gorgeous things that they see up there and the color of Mars and, and they, whatever, they just tell you about the one and you look through the thing and all you see is this again. And so, uh, as we talk this morning, we're going to use that kind of analogy. Say, we're first going to have a microscope. We're going to look at some things through a microscope this morning. Maybe with some clarity, because uh, just because a middle school boy can't figure out how to look through a telescope or a microscope doesn't mean that there are people who can. And so we're going to look at Scripture this morning. We're going to look at things through a microscope, and then we're going to look at it through a telescope to be able to see what that looks like. So that's our intention today, is to look at a microscope of the body of Christ and to determine what it looks like at the molecular level. And then we're going to look at it through a telescope when we discover how the kingdom expands and how it opens up and how uh, when, when the DNA that we're talking about over the last few weeks, when that is uh, moving through as the kingdom of God of what that really looks like in the community. And so at a microscopic level in the organic world, we look, and, and whether it's crickets or churches, uh, there's this code, this very specific code that is found in the DNA of every cell of the body. 
and we talk about the local church, there is a DNA that is present or should be present in every cell, every, every entity that is the local church, we should see this DNA uh, making its, its way. And so the DNA is a pattern of life. It's the smallest unit. It's the disciple in relationship to Jesus and to others and to the largest unit. It's a family or a movement of churches. That DNA is what we're going to be talking about today. We've been in this series about the building box of things, the, the way that the building blocks all go together with this DNA. This is the third week. As we've talked through this, you've heard us talk through some very important uh, ideas here as a church. But the first thing I want to just bring out to you, if you're using that white sheet of paper, it's an insert in your bulletin. Uh, for many of you who like to fill those things in, I'm going to buzz through it very quickly this morning, and you're going to fill in like crazy, and then you can keep that sheet of paper and feel good about it, and we might not necessarily come back to that paper in the same way, okay? So those of you who want to fill in all of your fill-ins, I'm going to give them to you first and then talk through them as we go. So first, we talk about our mission. We glorify God by making disciples of all nations. That is the mission of every church. It is given to us through the great commission given by Jesus. Uh, we see it in the end of the books of the Gospels, uh, the way that Jesus really sends his disciples out. Secondly, our vision. That's specific to us here. We invite every man, woman, and child to find your place upward, inward, and outward. And as we've been going through this series, I hope that you already understand that a little bit better, but I will dig in there a little bit more. And then I'm going to get to these fill-ins in just a second. As we come back to the, the gospel, uh, it's not the gospel, excuse me, the letter, 1 John, uh, and, we, and we see the author there, and we believe that it's John. We're not certain of it. He doesn't name himself in there, but the writing style is very similar uh, to the gospel of John. He's an apostle. He's a respected leader in the church. This letter wasn't written to any one specific church. It was just written to the church because the things that he addresses in this uh, letter are very specific to any church. Uh, any church is going to be dealing with those things during that time and during that season, and we find that our church and churches are dealing with these very same things. There's false teachers who are trying to undermine the legitimacy, the historical proof, and the authority of Jesus Christ. There are people out there trying to remove the authority of Christ, and we still see that today. We see that happening everywhere that we look. The authority of Christ is being undermined. There's false teachers trying to dismiss the importance or the threat or the problem of living one way and claiming to be in uh, connection with Jesus Christ, claiming to be a follower of Christ and yet living a different way. And this false teachers would say, that's fine. You can have those two coexist together. And John deals with that and says that is not going to happen. Because if the activities that they're involved with, uh, the way that they are living is going in a different direction. And that's the third thing that the false teachers would try to say is that the way that you're living, the activities, if you, if you just pile those all up, it doesn't matter what the uh, authenticity of your heart is as long as you are doing the right things. And so John deals with that as well. Does that sound familiar? Those things that we all recognize that we still see in our culture today. Yes, we see that all around us. We see people who are trying to, to, to do the, all the activities. As long as they're doing the right things, it doesn't matter what their heart looks like. Or they don't matter. It doesn't matter to them whether they're living in sin and trying to proclaim that they are a follower of Christ. They, can, they somehow reconcile those two things. And John says that's unacceptable. And we'll talk about that this morning. And then we're going to come back to once again the limit the legitimacy, there it is, the legitimacy of who Jesus is and the authenticity of who he is and the authority of who he is. If you have your bulletins this morning, uh, you just see the logo of our church. Uh, this is something that we've been uh, distributing more and more often. As you look at that logo, you'll see Randall Church on the outside. You'll see that it was established in 1826. 
What you ought to notice is right at the dead center of that, you see a cross built into that logo. That cross means that Jesus is the center. Jesus is the forefront of everything that we do. If we are ever teaching a gospel here that cannot be put through the lens of who Jesus Christ is, if we are not talking, if we're talking about doing good things, we're talking about going helping people uh, with flood relief, we're not talking about what the gospel says about that, we are misguided. Secondly, you'll see that R, and the church uh, is represented there by that R, Randall Church. Uh, We were established in 1826. We've been around for a little while, and we're glad that you're here this morning. We're glad that this building is here this morning. We interact with each other in a regular way, and you see that that relationship is actually important to us. And then thirdly, you'll see there's a globe, or even if you go a little bit wider, you'll see the place, uh, a drop pin uh, of what that logo is representing, is that we are here in this place at this time, in this community, but God has us for a bigger purpose. Uh, our, Our responsibilities are not only here in this community, but around the world, and I'll explain that a little bit. So those of you who have your pencils ready, I said I was going to give you the fill ins. We'll bust through those fill ins pretty quickly, and then I'll carry us forward. So, our first film, we talked about this the first week when we talked about our DNA. We discover faith in Christ. Uh, this was our first week. Two weeks ago, we talked about our faith in Christ. And just to continue feeling this, the source of our faith, uh, the pathway to faith, and we discover the basis of faith. And this was all found here in 1 John uh, chapter 1. In fact, all of the passages that we're going to be looking at this week, we're looking at it from a different lens each week. We've been looking back at First John, we said at the, at the root of things, at the center of things, the center of our logo, the center of all that we do, the center of our DNA must start with Jesus Christ. We discover faith in Christ. Secondly, in week two, uh, Pastor Mario preached last week and he talked about this. We nurture hope in the church. We nurture hope in the church. And where does that come from? Uh, we nurture the roots of hope. Where are the roots of hope? Again, those roots better be going down deep. They better find their foundation in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to nurture that. We're going to nurture uh, this hope that comes when we all realize that we are all d- digging into the same bedrock of Jesus Christ. And then secondly, to nurture the growth of hope. Uh, we looked in Ephesians uh, chapter 4 of what it looks like uh, for disciples to be growing and, and to be able to be leading and to be able to be connected to the unity of the body of the Christ, all found as we are growing, we are moving forward. We were not meant to be stagnant. Something that is stagnant is not alive, but something that is alive is growing and changing and always moving. Then this week, week three, we talk about we awaken love in the community. We awaken love in the community, and I'll get into these a little bit deeper, but your first feeling, awaken the senses to love, awaken the spirit to love, and awaken capacity for love, awaken the capacity for love. So those of you who wanted your fill-ins, you got your fill-ins, let's go forward and I'll explain with a little more detail of where we're at. So this week we're in week three, we awaken love in the community. So if we say we awaken the senses to love, where am I getting that from? I'm glad you asked. Look at 1 John chapter 1. Here we go. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the Father and has appeared to us. Yesterday is the last hurrah. We went to Ellicottville. My brother-in-law owns a uh, cabin there in Ellicottville. We went and spent some time, and we got away, me and uh, him and a couple other friends, and just went mountain biking. And so Ellicottville is a ski slope area, and so there's all these mountain bike trails that make their way around the ski slopes. A lot of elevation, a lot of, a lot of work. Uh, but one of the things that I had learned in the last few years 
is when you get kind of bored with the same trails that you've been on, you get kind of bored with hiking in the same way, or, or in my case, riding a bike in the same way, you change some things. You change uh, the way that you go about it. And for me, that means that when the, when the seasons change, in the daylight, there's not as much daylight, I do a lot of biking early in the morning, around 5 or 6 in the morning, uh, with a headlamp. And, and, uh, and so it's dark as can be outside, and you're wearing a headlamp, and you're going through the woods. And what was so easy to do during broad daylight suddenly becomes very difficult. And it is amazing to see how your senses change, your eyesight, because you don't have the same senses that you saw before. Now you start to be able to go on other senses. And it's amazing how you can kind of feel your way through the dark with just this small headlight. You can kind of hear your way through the forest. It's, it's amazing the way that your senses come alive. And the author here is coming alive when talking about his experience that he's had with Jesus, the word of life. Take your pencil, if you will, and circle the words here in verses 1 and 2 that he says. Circle the words proclaim. Circle the word testify. Circle the word again, proclaim. The life appeared. We see it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life. This author is demonstrating for you that his senses have come alive because he has experienced the very word of life. That something is different, something that he know he was not able to see in the same way before, that now his senses have been activated. Listen to how the senses are activated here. Uh, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, that we looked at and with our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. The, the, all the senses are activated here. We see it. We testify it. We proclaim to you that which the Father was who has appeared to us. Do you see all the different senses that are being activated? He has experienced the word of life and his senses have come alive. When we awaken love in the community, when we do that, we help others experience the love of God in an incredible way, and it's tangible to their senses. It's tangible to the senses. When we awaken love into the community, they are able to experience what a loving touch feels like. When we awaken love in the community, they are able to experience what loving hands working and, and toiling together, what that looks like. They experience what a loving meal smells like. They experience what a family gathering around a dinner table tastes like. There's something different about that. They experience what loving words sound like. What is the most loving thing that you could ever say to someone? That they need Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. You see, you need Jesus is the most loving thing we could ever say or share with someone. You need Jesus. Let me introduce you to Jesus. So John shares this message of eternal life that enables disconnected people to connect with God and connect with others. We live in a society that will debate all kinds of different things, numerous and serious issues, terrorism, border control, health care. All of these things are serious issues, yes. Uh, this, this flood, this uh, Hurricane Harvey, it is a serious thing. It is what is hot in the news right now. Yes, it's something that we should talk about. But if we get caught there without sharing the most important thing, because guess what? 
The Apostle John was dealing with important things in his time. There's major issues that dominated the news in the first century. There's political upheaval. There's religious oppositions. There was different philosophies competing with each other. There's economic challenges that they were up against. Most of them were enduring slavery. And there was moral decline. But don't miss the point. What he thought that he needed to share more than anything else was Jesus. He could have talked about anything. But he shared the message of eternal life through Jesus. You may have an opinion about the hot topic of the day. And I do too. I understand that. But if we're not sharing Jesus, if we're not sharing the gospel, your vocation, your training might give you a level of expertise that you can talk about something for days, and that is great. But can you talk about Jesus? We awaken love in the community when we awaken the senses to love. Secondly, we awaken the spirit to love. Verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Some of your translations for verse 4 may say, to make your joy. Uh, the tr translations will say that because it wants to emphasize the blessing of a lost soul who receives forgiveness and the joy that comes from that, that their joy, your joy, this gift of eternal life would be complete. And while that's true, the translation will also say that our joy may be complete. And as you're trying to see how that word kind of shows itself in different ways, the reason why I would say our joy, because while the lost sinner is able to see and have joy because of what God is doing in their life, we also have joy just by sharing the gospel. Uh, the, the text reveals that one who's faithfully sharing the message of Christ and going out and sharing and testifying to what God is doing in their life, sharing their grace story, that they will receive joy and experience joy. And the Apostle John, who is talking here most likely, as he is sharing this, he is not talking about his own joy. It's our joy. It's plural. It goes on generation after generation after generation. Why? Because when divine joy is awakened, the spirit of all the saints comes alive. We engage in this process of evangelism. Something is sparked inside of us. You see, our soul refers to personhood. In Noah's day, 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about this. In Noah's day, there was eight souls who went into the ark, it says. Eight individuals, eight people who went into the ark. But then in the same way, when we talk about the spirit, it's this invisible force. It's a spark of life that animates all living creatures. Also talking about the flood in, in Noah's day, God said, I'm going to bring floodwaters upon the earth to destroy from under the heavens all flesh that has the breath or the spirit of life. You see, when it says our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus, that fellowship, that connectivity that happens there is our spirit resonates with the Holy Spirit of God, and we have fellowship one with another, and there is a spark there, and things change. That spark, when it is awakened, and you know what that spark looks like, or you've seen it in yourself, in your own life, you've seen it in a friend's life, when that spark happens, when their spirit is awakened because they have shown love and they have demonstrated love for someone by sharing the gospel with them. That spirit is awakened inside of them because they are connected to the very spirit of God. We have fellowship, it says here. 
our fellowship, our interaction is with the Father and His Son Jesus through the Holy Spirit. We are connected. There is a spark of life. We awaken love in the community by awakening the senses to love, awakening the spirit to love, and then thirdly, awaken the capacity for love. Verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us or cleanses us from all sin. Now what's the main value of light? The main value of light, negatively, it helps you avoid danger. If you have, light, if you have a lit parking lot, you feel much safer in that area than you do uh, without that. Light, when the light of day comes up. Last week we experienced a total solar eclipse. And, and those who experienced it, I had family who were actually in the path of it. And so they talked about how when everything went dark, completely dark, that even the crickets, the animals, everything just got silent because there's fear in that. But then the light, the sun came back up three or four minutes later and everything started to be active once again. That's the negative side. It helps you avoid danger. Positively, it helps you reach what you are after. Your goal that you are going after. If you have that light, helps you pursue that. Very simple illustration of this. Those of you who have kids, uh, our situation, uh, at, our kids don't use a pacifier during the day, but at night they need they need a pacifier, right? You with me? So at night, if, if the child is crying, the young ones, if the baby is crying, then all you have to do is get into that room and find the pacifier and give it to the child. And if it's like it is in our house, there is seven pacifiers that might work, but there's only one that they need. There's only one pacifier that will work. And you will find yourself in the dark, crawling around in the dark, trying to find that one pacifier has fallen behind the bed or it's stuck somewhere. And of course, as you are going through that dark room, uh, there are booby traps everywhere. There's the leftover pieces of the game that they were playing earlier that you're going to find in the middle of the night when you're going across that room. But you can't turn on the light because if you turn on the light, you're going to wake the child. And so you're going to have to find, and you're looking for, the goal is to find this silly pacifier so you can pop it in that kid's mouth so they will be quiet. Our goal of ultimate and eternal joy is a whole lot bigger than a pacifier. What we are pursuing is a whole lot bigger than that. What is neat about this is it's secured in God because it says here, there is no darkness in God. That light shines. There are no lurking shadows of God. There is no fine print. Sign in the dotted line. Don't look on the back sheet of this paper, right? There is no darkness in God, it says here. There's no hidden agenda. He is light. No darkness exists in him. When light shines into a dark place, it opens its capacity. When light shines into a room, it opens up what you notice, what you see, what's available to you in there. My brother-in-law got married a number of years ago, and they got married in the backyard at my, parent, my in-law's house. And so they got married there, and then the reception was going to be in the woods next to the house. And it seemed absurd. 
why would you have a reception in the woods by the house? And so uh, there's all these pine trees kind of hanging over, and it was a weird place to have a reception, I have to say. He cut down a bunch of trees, and there was this little gap in the middle. But it wasn't until the night before, way into the middle of the night before, that we set up thousands and thousands and thousands of Christmas lights, hung them from trees and pulled them from this, and breakers are going off and everything else. And before you realize it, out in the middle of the woods next to the house, there's this dance floor, and there's this all this that just opened up the capacity of what that space was. You would never send your wedding party into that dark woods and say, have your wedding reception here. It'd be absurd. But instead, when it was lit up, when we had strung lights in every direction, and this, there's this glow, there's this haze, it was one of the most beautiful spaces you could have your wedding reception. And they danced until morning. They danced all night long. And this, just this floor that had been cut out and the space, and they just enjoyed their time there in the middle of the woods. Because the space, the capacity had been opened up. When light shines into a dark place, it opens its capacity. When God's light shines into a dark neighborhood, what happens? It opens its capacity. When God's light transforms a neighborhood, why? Because it opens up what it is possible to happen there because God is at work there. When God's light shines in the dark shadows and recesses of your heart and mind, it opens up the capacity for what you are able to do and what you are able to uh, be able to experience. Because when God's light shines in, what does it do? When we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with under the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all sin. Not only does it expose what is there, it purifies what is there. You see, when we walk in the light, that means there's a continual process day after day of walking in the light. That light starts to shine and you start to glow is what we saw in the Old Testament with Abraham. He began to, Moses, excuse me, he began to glow when he was in the face of God. That happens to you and to me. So I told you this morning we were going to look at it from a microscope. That's the DNA from the microscope. We want to go to the telescope. But just to, to kind of put a cap on that, we invite every man, woman, and child to find your place upward in Christ, inward in the church, and outward in the community. This DNA, there's three relationships of loving God more, of loving people more, and loving more people. That's really the bottom line of understanding of this is, this is the DNA of who you and I individually are meant to be. This is representative of the gospel itself. Matthew 4, 19, when Jesus says, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. He is saying, I will teach you how to love God more. I will teach you how to love people more. I will teach you how to love more people. Upward, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus' life lived out these principles. Inward, Jesus came in human form so that we could touch him, interact with him, have relationship with him. Outward, Jesus established the kingdom of God. And again and again and again, he very often would say, it is for what? All people. Every man, every woman, every child. You see, we live in a day of radical advancement of technology and different things like that. And, and looking through things through a microscope, uh, medical ethics has taken on a whole new level. Because why? Because we can now manipulate DNA. 
And so when we look at what is the DNA, we've looked in closely, what is the DNA? There's three things you need to remember this morning is that you should not and do not unravel the DNA. And we do that by living a life that segments things. So I'll live my life in this way. I'll unravel. On Sunday mornings, God, I'll give you Sunday mornings. I'll pretend that I've got this relationship with you all week, but on Sunday mornings, I'll live this way. And then uh, maybe during the week, I'll get together with a, a small group, a community group, and I'll, I'll segment that, and I'll say, during that time, I will have fellowship with other believers. Or uh, I'll go on a mission trip every four years, and when I go on that mission trip, I'll go for a week, and I will live Christ for a week. And you unravel the DNA, and you pull it apart. That's genetic engineering. Secondly, don't subtract from the DNA. Churches are often uh, guilty of this, or you and I individually are guilty of this, where we say, you know what, our church, we're about biblical teaching. There's more to the DNA than biblical teaching. The fellowship of the believers of Christ is part of the, uh, being part of the body of Christ is part of the DNA, but also going out and sharing the gospel. And there are churches and there are people who will share the gospel again and again and again and again, and yet they are at war with other believers. Do not add to the DNA. One extra chromosome in our DNA, that, that changes things. That actually makes things, that can result in a severe disability. And so if that were to happen, that corrupted form prevents a person from maturing, maturing excuse me, and functioning in full capacity. Same thing happens when a church focuses on its non-essentials and starts putting the things that we do, the programs that we provide, and start putting that higher value than really the root of the gospel, the DNA of the gospel. So we telescope out. And we start telling our grace story in wider than just our, our own circles. We use this terminology here, and I just want to share it with you one more time to help you see what it is. We, we say there's presence, planting, and partnering as a church. And so what happens with presence? We say, if you stood on the roof of this building, and I've done it actually, some of you have, and you stand on the roof of the building, you look in 360 degrees, what is here? We look and we see the YMCA next door. We see ECC. If you look down just the road just a little bit, we see Williamsville South. If you look across the street, we see Gateway Longview, who is dealing with foster care and is a juvenile detention type of system. Next door, we have Winsong Apartments, a medical complex, and apartments that are right there. We need to be aware of what is around us because it changes the way that we live. In a similar fashion, if you need to climb up on the roof of your house and look around your neighborhood and see who lives there, what is there, what's available, what is important to this neighborhood, what is important to you, that's where our care corridors have been, have been built. So right now, currently, we have seven care corridors that we've organized around the region to be able to do that, to say, okay, this is what's happening at, at the church, 6301 Main Street. What is happening elsewhere in the community? We need people thinking about looking out their window and saying, what is going on here? How does the gospel change what is happening in my neighborhood? Who will we continue to be in prayer for strategically? Who is it that we will care for with intentionality? And who is it that, God, you have laid on my heart today, right now, to share the gospel with relationally? This can look a lot of different ways. It looks like craft nights. It looks like walks in the park. It looks like a block party. It looks like backpacks for back to school. It looks like a 5K. There's all these different things that have been going on already this year here in our church. God is at work, but we have to have the understanding that it is our responsibility 
to look where we are present. How do we make the presence of God known where we are present at each and every day? Secondly, planting. Specifically, we believe that our church has a story to tell. We know that this church was formed in 1826, almost 200 years ago, by dedicated men and women who came here to what we know now, now know as Western New York because they wanted to share the gospel with the people here. Because they felt it was important enough that there should be a church in the center of this new community that was forming, next to the mill, next to the creek, all that was there. That there was going to be a church that was going to share the gospel in the middle of that community. That was almost 200 years ago. We believe that God continues to call us to create those type of situations and go when we can. So in 2013, Renewal Church was formed. We went to North Tonawanda. Uh, there had once been a church, an active and thriving church there, but it no longer was going to exist. And so God breathed into us an opportunity to plant and start a church with this same DNA there in North Tonawanda, to be able to reach out to those who were not being reached, to be able to care for those who were not being cared for, to be able to share the gospel in a way that had not been shared in a very long time. So we tell grace stories in that way, in a regional way. We expect that God is going to continue to open more opportunities to do that. We're always looking for opportunities for that. <coughs> Excuse me. And then there's partnering. We brought Mike Flannery up here this morning, and there's a very specific, tangible way that you can see partnering happening. Partnering is when things are going on with presence and planting. Those are dealing generally with things that are local and regional, but we know that the gospel needs to go wider than that. And so we partner with people. We partner with strategic partners who are selling their grace stories. And in fact, financially, your church here, we give more than 25% away of every dollar that comes in is going to our partners, uh, both locally and globally around the world. So that what? So that DNA is transferred once again. That people would understand what it means to discover faith, to nurture hope, and to awaken love for their fellow man. And so we tell grace stories throughout our global circle by college campuses, uh, through Bible translation services, through international church planting, through camp ministries, through microfinancing groups, through city development, through human trafficking issues, and many, many more. But they had better carry that same DNA. So that's how we share grace stories in that way. So this morning, you're sitting here, you're taking it all in, you fill out your notes, that's good. So what? So what? Now what? What do you want me to do? I started here as the pastor Easter last year. And there's a church revitalization author, his name is Tom Cheney, talks about a thousand days. So as I came on as a staff and as a church, we looked at we said, okay, you know what? This church is going to go through a revitalization process because if, if we don't go through something today, we don't start this process, it's only a matter of time before this church closes up. And so as we began that process, there's a thousand days. We looked at a thousand days, and that would be December 2018. What would we want to see in a thousand days? And I'll tell you, in the last year, in the last 18 months, we've seen a lot of exciting things. God has been at work. God has proven himself. We have baptized people. We have seen people come to Christ. We have seen new members come to this church. Many of you are signed up for our newest membership class, which starts next week. And that is good. But we have to have a longer-range look. So December 2018 is 1,000 days in. And 1,000 days in, you know what we're going to assess? You know what we're going to be able to look at to be able to say, you know, how do we make sure that we know that we're moving forward? We're going to measure this. How many people can say that I found my place? That's the bottom line. 
When I say, I found my place, what does that mean? That they have found their place upward in Christ, inward in the church, and outward in the community. How many people can really say that? How many people can we assess and be able to say, how have they found their place upward in Christ? And they can demonstrate that. How have they found their place here at the church? How do they interact with other people in this community? And we can actually be able to keep that an accountability piece with that. And then how many of our people are actually living out the gospel in front of their friends, their family, in front of the world that's all around them? That's a thousand days in. Year 2026, our church will be 200 years old. It would be my hope and my desire that the church has grown, not, not only numerically, but we are not just how many, what is our seating capacity here as a church, but what our sending capacity has been over 200 years. And as we assess that and as we look at, you know what the grid is that we're going to look at that? How many people we, we have here? Is that really what's going to be measured? No. What we're going to be able to look at is how many people have found their place upward in Christ. How many people have found their place inward at the church? How many people have found their place outward in the community? And all three of those things matter. And as we assess that, as we look at that, and, and the church is 200 years old, when we get to that point and we look at that, we're going to be able to say, look at these leaders who found their place upward in Christ, inward in the church and outward in the community. Look at these missionaries who found their place upward in Christ, inward in the church and outward in the community. Look at these organizations that have been started, whose identity is found when they look upward in Christ, inward in the church and outward in the community. And when we do that and when we see that, that is what we will be able to assess to say that we have had success as a church. And the reality is, is we're not there yet. We're not even close. Because the great commission that Jesus Christ gave us is one that will take us our entire lives to pursue. 1 John 1, chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from and declaring to you. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us from all sin. You see, God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Will you bow your heads this morning? As we talk about measuring success here as a church in 2018 or 2026, how do you measure up? That microscope on your heart, how does the, the pattern, this Christ-like DNA, is it there, is it in you? Multiple times Jesus says, come. In Matthew 4 he says, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Revelation chapter 3 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man would, would have dinner with me, I will come in. If you're here this morning, and what I'm describing, this relationship, this DNA with Christ, with the church, with the community, is something that seems foreign to you. Is Jesus calling you to come this morning? He wants to have a relationship. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants you to have this spirit, the sense of joy, the, the, the spirit that comes alive, the spark that is in you. You can't explain other than the Holy Spirit's power. So Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for what you're doing in the life of our church. Lord, we pray that we grasp a hold of this DNA. Lord, that it would define who we are. 
to define where we're going. Or we'd be motivated to share the gospel again and again and again because there's a spark inside of us that we just cannot keep silent. We love you and we praise you for being at work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we invite you to join us in this work. You matter to God. You belong here. God has created you to make a difference. The reality is I do believe the best is yet to come. I know that God is at work in this church. So one of the things that we do each, each month when we come together, we, we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And as we do that this morning, as the attendees come and assist with that this morning, I just want to be in reminding of that, the way that Jesus said, in remembrance of me. Uh, this morning we are sharing communion together because we are remembering that we are part of something bigger. We expect that God is going to do great things. Why? Because when God is at work, things grow and things move and they move forward. We believe that we are part of something like that. But he keeps reminding us again. He says, come back. Come back to the table one more time. Don't forget. Don't forget the blood that was shed. Don't forget the body that was broken for you. And so this morning we do this again in remembrance of him.